try to keep this one sunny. It's Reality Grants with Jason Burmis Monday morning, Red Voice Media in the house. I want to thank uh, Ray and the gang so much. Ray's actually launching a, uh, I believe it's a monthly round table. I, I didn't uh, quite go over my email, but uh, Alicia and I were talking about it, where you're going to have basically the RVM crew get together and, and do kind of a mega podcast. I love that. And I want to thank everybody who supported this broadcast, especially in the premium section and everybody out there that sharing the links to the free stuff, who's clipping it up, who's retweeting on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Let's get the word about uh, this broadcast out there. So back to the highlights, I get to meet uh, not only Ryan Christian in person, okay, but I get to meet uh, Jay Dyer in person. I, and and both were kind of complete surprises to me. So uh, I'm in the media booth. And by the way, this is, I believe, my fourth one that I've done. And the media booths, it, it varies so much from venue to venue. This was at Greg Locke's church, okay? And <laughs> this actually, this media scrum was a lot better than some of the others. Let me, let me start there. Of course, we got there late because I was I was literally one of the last speakers. I think I was the third to last speaker at the end before they wrap it up. Uh, and I, I think I was supposed to be like, like at least scheduled to be the last somewhere around there. And I'm there, I'm waiting and we get there, we get a table, we're in the corner, but so many people are there and the rebunked gentleman comes up to me and I've been on rebunked and we've done union of the unwanted together, et cetera. Um, really good work. And he's with, uh, Courtney Turner, Turner, who I've done her podcast in the past. They've all joined up for pirate streams. So while I'm outside, uh, getting a coffee, I see Ryan. I was also able to meet, um, the head of AMP, which is American media periscope where I do MSOM or making sense of the madness. Sometime met him in the same thing, shook his hand, uh, John Michael chambers. So really just awesome. And then on top of that, as you're going to see, because, you know, it's it's also about the work, not only, and that's the thing, I try to make the most of these things. Sometimes it's just such an S show. See, I'm going to try to keep it clean for the kids, okay, that you don't really get a lot of interviews. People aren't coming through the press uh, area or in select press areas, and, and you're not really able to get them. So first of all, we're going to start with a question uh, that I asked Michael Flynn and, and the video gets cut off for like five, 10 seconds. Don't worry about it. He gives almost a 15 minute answer. So you won't miss much. I promise you. And it's about the classified documents, but I've got a video also with that whole gang, the rebunked gang. I've also got a video with Trennis Evans uh, with January 6th and Mickey Babbitt, who um, I'm sorry, Mickey Whithoff, who lost her daughter, Ashley Babbitt. And, uh, you know, th those are all interviews I think that we can play on YouTube. What we can't play is the interview with Peter McCullough. We probably can't play the interview with Jay Dyer. And we certainly, in my opinion, cannot play my actual presentation, which we'll do on the, the other side. Unfortunately, the audio in the clips is pretty low. I'll see what I can do to kind of fix that on the fly with the fader. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to blow you out when I start talking again. But, uh, you know, the presentation, again, 
this is why I do these things. You know, I want to make clear, I don't make any money doing this. No, no one's paying me to do this. I do it because I'm trying to reach a broader audience. And there was uh, definitely a more of a mainline thing. Uh, this American Life, I think it is. You know what? Let's go to it. Let's 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 do it live. This American Life podcast. Uh, let's see. And and I could tell right away that, that what what this person was there to do. Uh, there it is right here. Thisamericanlife.org. Thisamericanlife.org. Uh, and I forget. I you know. She she looked about my age, maybe a little bit younger, and we'll see what happened. But it, it's a podcast. It's actually a pretty big one, and we'll see if uh, we'll see if anything you know that I said to her makes it on there. Possibility. You never know. Uh, I I think I was interesting in the fact that I'm not your typical person. There, there's a lot of evangelicals. Um, there's a lot of mega Trumpers. I don't fit into that box. I was actually talking to her about corruption in elections long before I was talking about. How I believe John Kerry actually won in 2004. He was sent in as a ringer. Howard Dean was the clear front runner. And, and these things kind of continue on, right? They, they cycle in. Like Howard Dean was the guy, the Democrats, at least the media, and people were getting behind because some of the more, uh, I would say, risque things that he was saying about not only the Iraq war, but questioning 9-11 a little bit, nudging the bear. What did he know? And when did he know it? Remember that? That talking point? What did they know? And when did they know it? No, no, no. What did they plan? <laughs> okay. What did they repeatedly drill? Who did they financially support? Who did they give cover to? What agencies were they working with long before Five Eyes? Hmm? That's the real question. Those are the real questions. And that's why after the Loose Change series, I did Fabled Enemies. So I could show you the Pakistani, Israeli continuity of government operation that went on. And then I could show you how it was covered up by the establishment of a whitewash via the 9-11 Commission and, and just ignoring the vast majority of evidence, especially the things that we cover in uh, the film Fabled Enemies, where we have the current poopy pants puppet in chief twice on camera, twice, admitting that he met with one of the money men behind 9-11 in D.C. the week of 9-11, General Mahmoud Ahmed, Okay, the guy who wired a hundred grand out of just before the attacks. Okay, which according to the 9 11 Commission, the attacks only cost half a million dollars. So this would be one fifth of the funding of this. Met with him, said that, oh, nobody knew he financed the hijackers. Get a life. And then when he's questioned about it again, he says, that's classified. Now, he wasn't the only one that met with him. And I'm sure. Joe Biden has no recollection of that meeting at this point. He has no recollection of 10 minutes ago, a lot of the time. 10 seconds ago, a lot of the time. I just want to point it out. We put it there because that's how operations work. There has to be layers of plausible deniability. You have to have front companies, okay? And then you have to run cover 
with drills, not only, so if you get caught, you can say, no, it's part of this, but to get rid of the good people that would blow the whistle on you. Okay, see, that's another thing we focused in on Fabled Enemies is that much of the good FBI counterterrorism unit was on the other side of the country running drills in California. Okay, so all of a sudden these attacks happen uh, largely on the East Coast, right? And these guys are stuck there for days and days and days as the cover-up crew is in control. That's how it really works, guys. That's the whole shebango. And I and I know I said I'm trying to keep it sunny, and I'm gonna try to keep it sunny. Peter McCullough. That's the big interview you're gonna want to go at least listen to over on Podbean. But I suggest you subscribe. Uh, Peter McCullough, Nurse Kim. Um, I, I forget what Kim's last name is, uh, but I interviewed her recently on Making Sense of the Madness, one of the uh, whistleblowers within the medical system. That's all I'm going to say. Don't want to say much more. Might get in trouble for some misinformation or disinformation. That's why we can't play it on this end. So I talked to McCullough about DARPA. I talk about, you know, different types of theories that are not allowed to be discussed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did it. And hopefully I'm going to be able to get to have McCullough on this program. And I really need to just get on that. McCullough on this program for a good hour. Because that's where we can have a real open discussion about what he thinks we know and what can be proven. And it's funny, as he walked through the uh, door, I was like, oh, Peter, I just want to thank you for starting to talk about DARPA and their connection to all this. And he says, yeah. And I said, you know, I've been talking about it for like two years. He's, he goes, it's on their own website. And I go, I know. I've been talking about it for like two plus years. And he goes, well, you were talking about it way before me. And um, one of the young ladies that, um, again, this woman who I had interviewed, I talked to her really quick. I thought they were gone. McCullough is great with his time, by the way. He's he's absolutely amazing. He hit so many media outlets. He's the man. P Peter McCullough, the man. <laughs> I just, I want, I want to get that across. He's the man, okay? So McCullough... Later on, after we do this interview, and again, that's going to be on the second hour of this Red Voice Media exclusives all over the place today, guys. Redvoicemedia.com. <laughs> he comes out of the bathroom. And as he comes out of the bathroom, me and him are, are having a discussion. Me and him talking so goods over here. And then Jay Dyer, I've never met Jay Dyer in person, walks through the door as we're having this conversation. And McCullough is talking about a retreat that he's just been on. And apparently, uh, Peter is a religious person. And basically, they were talking about just everything that's socially going on today. And Dr. Peter McCullough is a doctor. He's a doctor. <laughs> just putting that out there. And he talks about this whole trans kids thing really quickly. So I look at him. And I, I'm looking up at him because I'm actually sitting down. And I go, well, Peter, that's really a transhumanist agenda. And he looks at me a, a little bit and I go, do you know who Martine Rothblatt is? And he looks at me and he goes, no. But And this is after our interview. He goes, but I can tell you're really into this. And I said, been doing it for a long time, man. And this is the real deal. 
We talked a little bit about Infowars. We talked a little bit about Alex Jones. Real, a really gracious guy. I just want to say that. Really gracious guy. And that's why Clark's events, all right, are some of the most powerful events out there. A, a vastly diverse group of people. Now, at the core of it, are they Christians? Yes. Are they conservatives? Yes. Are they, in large part, uh, Trump supporters? Yes. So what? So what? I, I mean, there's so many people there that are coming at this from different angles. There are so many people that now, after the Trump administration and after basically the death of the Q and nonsense, right, and, and the and the trust the plan gang and the whole thing, that there is something going on, and that Bill Barr wasn't my friend, and John Bolton wasn't my friend, and Mattis and Pompeo, not my buddy, not my champ. And then, you know, you got a lot of people talking about Musk and the Twitter files. But then you have the guy that's running the event, Clay Clark, who you've seen on this broadcast uh, several times. And I'll continue to have Clay on because he's the man. He, he stepped up and did this. I couldn't do this. I couldn't put something like this together. And, and believe me, you know, people that are saying that this guy wants to grift or blah, blah, blah. Listen. The amount of work that this guy puts into something like that is overwhelmingly tremendous. He's my age. Now, I can only tell you that there's there's probably no way I would want to be in charge of so many moving parts and then host on top of it. Like, I, I'm not trying to say this in a derogatory manner, okay? But, I, you know, I see Clay the second day and throughout the day. And again, I, I, I'm there at like 8 p.m.-ish. And you could see the bags under his eyes because this guy, I mean, he doesn't, on camera, still looking great, Clay. But at the same time, I can tell, man, this guy is is worn down. And then he just puts out so much energy, so much energy. And to have people uh, like myself speak, to have the uh, Dr. Sherry Tempanies speak, uh, Jim Brewer was the day before, right? So many interesting and, and and truly diverse people. And then the audience, okay, gets a dose of why the musker nuts ain't the greatest every 10 minutes with Clay. I guess the presentations are a little bit more, but whenever, you know, Musk comes up, he's got a question. Sometimes he puts up clips along with the World Economic Forum clips, et cetera. So Clay is the dude. Clay is the man. All right, with that being said, uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to hit this Flynn question, okay, where I talked to General Michael Flynn at this, uh, you know, again, at, at the media scrum about the Biden classified documents. So let me just bring that up quickly, my friends, and we will be right there. And here we go. So. Bam. Say your name and sure. represent what your podcast is, your media outlet. Sure. Uh, Jason Burmis speaking here, Red Voice Media, also independent. Um, in light of all these uh, classified documents and the scandal with Biden, do you believe that this is the way that they're trying to remove him without acknowledging the dementia or anything else? And if so, who do you think is going to step into not only, obviously, Kamala Harris, the presidential role, but then in the vice presidential role? 
So first of all, I think that anytime we have classified documents that are um, in places that they should not be, clearly in the uh, in this in this uh, you know Pennsylvania office and also in the uh, garage of the vice president at the time. Now he's, of course, he's the president. Anytime we have classified documents like that that are not where they're supposed to be is not a good thing. And until we, you know, I think we'll eventually find out what was on those classified documents. And I think we're going to find out that they are probably not good for uh, you know, for President Biden, not good for a lot of reasons because they're probably I'm just speculating because I don't know, but I'm, my my guess is they probably have to do with things that are related to business uh, dealings potentially that uh, his son was involved in, and possibly even the even the vice president at the time had some certainly some influence over. So I think it's a really uh, it's a real danger to our national security, and uh, and I think that if it's not handled properly, even though the DOJ has put this put this uh, special counsel on top of it. You know, the, the two um, sort of frames that we have in this country was a complete raid on a president of the United States home, Mar-a-Lago, President Trump, and then this recent discovery. Now, what I've learned, and I think what we've seen, is that these classified documents were actually discovered by, uh, before the election, before the 2022 wow. election. So, and then, you know, they were kept under wraps, I guess, until just fairly recently in the last couple of weeks. I, I think it's I think it's a real shame. I think it's a, it shows the double standard that we have in this country when it comes to the rule of law. And uh, it's, it's something that has to be fixed. So I hope that the uh, the um, this new uh, House of Representatives uh, weaponization subcommittee that has been formed, I believe Jim Jordan is the uh, is the chairman of it. Uh, I, I believe that they're going to dig into it. They're going to have to because the American people are just sick of it. Uh, now, what does that mean to, you know, sort of what is happening? So what's the behind the scenes things that are potentially happening in uh, Washington, D.C. and inside the White House? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's been a couple of uh, scenarios painted. You know, I, I, I think that the scenarios could be where they just, it, it, may, it may be where one, they do nothing. I don't think that they can do that, though, especially the uh, the Department of Justice. I don't think the Department of Justice can do nothing. The, the likelihood that uh, the investigation of the Hunter Biden laptop might have been part of what uh, exposed these uh, classified documents, potentially. You know, maybe the, the attorney general in Delaware was getting closer to uh, what was happening. The attorney general that works for the Department of Justice in Delaware may have been getting closer. So the scenario that I think that a lot of people are looking at or talking about clearly is that, you know, Joe Biden, this is sort of the, the, the left is trying to remove him before the 2024 election. That's one of the things that's out there, certainly on the world of social media. And so, what, you know, what does that look like? I mean, it could look like one, one I heard the other day, it could look like uh, uh, before he does that, you know, he pardons Hunter, he pardons his brother, maybe one or two other business associates. And then and then uh, resigns, and Kamala comes up, steps up, and, and pardons him. And kind of the the uh, the you know the Nixon Agnew kind of scenario. That's one. I mean, you know, there are others that are that are that sort of surround that as they. I think as the as the left is trying to maneuver, because they know that their message isn't resonating with the majority of the American people, uh, and so 
you know, they, they're riding a horse, so to speak, that uh, the American people don't trust, don't believe in the confidence level or way, you know, the levels are way down on the presidency. The, this president is a disaster in terms of his, his economic policies, uh, national security policies, international affairs, I mean, everything. So I, I think that they believe, even though we're hearing things like, well, he's about to announce, you know, his, his run for 2024. We'll see. All speculation at this point. Um, I think that we we learned anything from this is that there are clearly uh, there there is clearly a double standard in uh, our justice system, and if the attorney general uh, and the director of the FBI and and other others in the administration, if they don't realize it, and I know that they do, they realize it, they completely realize it, and. Part of it is, is I want the American people who listen to this, or anybody that's listening, any of the podcasters out there, any of the people that, that uh, watch these, want them to understand that that we're dealing with an administration that has every desire to take over control of our lives in this country and basically limit in a very severe way our rights. And I think that that's sort of the direction that we're heading. So um, we'll see, like, like I said, a lot of speculation, but... Uh, they're going to have to show and they're going to have to make some decisions here pretty quickly because this weaponization subcommittee is going to they're going to take some some hard shots at, at the administration. For those that don't know, yesterday, the Department of Justice announced that they are no longer going to take um, uh, requests from the House. Okay, they they wow. announced this yesterday. Wow. No longer to take requests from the House for, you know, to, to dig into to, uh, things that are happening. So, yeah. So wow. that's interesting. I mean, you have to go back and read the uh, read the article and uh, read the statement from the uh, Department of Justice. But it's like, wait a second. So I mean, you can't do that. People of this country are not going to put up with it. So, anyway, okay. Let me go right here. Man. Thank you. Hi, I'm Penny Faye. Penny Faye Live. Pleasure to meet you. Um, Going to the clandestine services, FBI, I'm going to call them clandestine too, since they're doing stuff under the table. How do we fix this? Yeah. So, you know, actually, this this is a pretty good segment right here. Like, again, how do we fix this? I haven't talked to Flynn behind the scenes about really anything. You know what I mean? I briefly shake his hand a couple of times. Obviously, I got that question in. He was actually right next to me before I went on. Um, cracking a couple jokes. I'll tell you what, what, he's really spry for an older gentleman. Just the, I mean, you can tell even, even being exhausted, his eyes are, are wide. You know, this is a military guy. He, he's very disciplined, very regimented. Uh, but my presentation, he was like up on stage, actually watching me on the side and watching the slides. And he was kind of blown away. I'm hoping to get him on. I know I've discussed this before, but um, at least a portion of this answer we're going to play. And then on the flip of this, we're going to play the pirate stream team, pirate stream team of uh, Ryan Christian, myself, Rebunked, and Courtney Turner. So that's a good question. So the security state of the United States of America, you know, Eisenhower in the very, very end of his administration, he, he sort of coined the term the military industrial complex in a negative way, you know, in a negative way. So the rise of the security state has overtaken the military industrial complex. That complex still exists. It's all over Washington, DC. And, uh, and it, uh, it controls a lot of our money. Uh, a lot of, gets a lot of our tax dollars, so to speak. 
So that that is a if you look at the just to give you a sort of a little bit of a of a, of a sixty thousand foot level if you if you still understand the military industrial complex which is you know really part of our defense industry uh, and the and these partnerships that we have particularly for things that we would normally do overseas and now we have this rise of the security state the size of the security state has grown since really 9-11 when you start looking at numbers of people in, in these federal bureaucracies these unelected unelected bureaucrats as uh, trump likes to talk about they have probably grown by times five so whatever existed if, if 10,000 existed on the 10th of September, and now you're talking about 50,000 in that same agency or activity or department. I mean, some of these departments have tens of thousands of people. So the growth of the federal bureaucracy, the growth of the public security <clears throat> state has grown immensely. So that what has happened though, and I think, and, and people are seeing more because frankly, because of the, the body of people that I'm talking to this morning, the rise of independent voices, who are unafraid and independent, right? I mean, and don't uh, don't have to cater to a, a corporate uh, set of talking points. So you're able to expose a lot more. And when we have, honestly, I think that you know the globalist crowd didn't think that uh, Twitter was going to be you know bought for whatever he paid for it, mm -hmm. forty billion dollars. But the price uh, is actually you know, the the outcome is priceless yeah. because. What we're learning, and many of us kind of knew, is this cooperation and collusion and conspiracy mm -hmm. between the government and these private uh, organizations. So, obviously, you know, him talking about Musk, et cetera, you know, he had, he's seen my previous pre presentations, at least, uh, I believe, the first one. I'm not sure if he saw the last one where it was more focused on transgender to transhuman. But you certainly saw this one, and it's heavy on the Musk in the beginning and heavy on uh, warfare and space warfare, et cetera, okay? And that's important because, look, as, as I've discussed, we're not in a gray area. We're not in a black and white world, right? The gray area is that you got a guy like Musk, all of a sudden, 44 billion liquid. Sure, there are investors. I get it. But. He's this cult-like figure that's supposedly now in charge of Twitter. He's the boring company. He's SpaceX. He's Neuralink. He's Tesla. It's a lot. And the government subsidies are over the top. And the DOD contracts are over the top, as I've documented, as I've shown people, and I will continue to show people. And what they're doing, other than weaponizing space, is still highly highly militarized all of it okay so my concern is we still don't have the wikileaks dump like you said most of us already knew this was going on thanks to independent voices i think that um you know as some would say the signal sometimes gets lost in the noise and what does that mean the signal is that these big tech corporations are really trojan horse civilian systems plausible deniability layers that are completely and totally infiltrated in large part controlled by the military industrial complex that he's talking about, okay? And we need a file dump, period. We need a file dump. I think he actually references Bongino next, and I've discussed this. Look, I don't think Dan Bongino's a, a bad guy. I don't think Charlie Kirk's a bad guy, but are, are they bleeding edge? No, 
They're not, they're people with a large following already. What I would like to know is who with a smaller following is shadow banned? What terminologies outside of what we've seen during uh, the last three plus years were already shadow banned? Or as uh, Musk would like to say, instead of freedom of speech, which you have, you might not have what? Freedom of reach. So let's continue with uh, Flynn. Okay. So that's that was all being done, to use your word, in sort of in a clandestine way. Okay, they were they were trying to hide it. And we know just based on the numbers of people from FBI, CIA, and other members of the security state that now work for Google, work for Facebook, and the numbers are stacked. You know, what we learned from the Twitter files with just the FBI, we learned about this partnership between you know that they were basically including on misinformation, right? And to, to really to block and tackle against people like yourselves, yeah. right? Because you're out there asking a question, you get an answer, and they go, this is misinformation. And that's a government entity working with private industry, you know, with these social media companies. These are big, big, powerful companies. These are companies at the multi, multi-billion dollar level, in some cases, the T, the trillion dollar level. So that's the clandestine part of it. They were trying to hide it in plain sight. And because they could, and nobody wanted, and the media is not going to go after it. Investigative journalists that work for the big corporations, they're not doing anything about it. And when, and when you have chiefs of security or the head lawyer for Twitter, in this case, was the head lawyer, Baker, right, at the FBI. So he went from being the top lawyer at the FBI to being the top lawyer at Twitter. So you can imagine who's over at Facebook, who's over at Google, who's over at, you know, name the, name the, you know, that kind of type of, of company. That's the corporate uh, and government partnerships that exist right now. And so how do we fix it really is the essence. Right, right. I mean, because he went from the dossier. Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, it's all the details. We can get all the weeds of all of it, but how, how it has to be fixed is through, I mean, number one is big, big leadership, right? And if you have the people in the White House, as we were joking about before, I mean, you know, they, they're not doing it. They're obviously not doing it. In fact, they're 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 promoting it. They're promoting it. And and we have people in the Justice Department that are promoting it and or not, or they're hiding it. They're not digging in when they need to be digging in and, and showing that, hey, these are these are not right. And they're investigating people that are out there saying, you know, just basically saying, like, if, like a person like me, so if I'm out there saying, well, you know, I may be saying it, you know, through because I'm speculating about something, but I'm speculating about something with almost four decades of my life working in a, you know, in experiences and my own judgment about what I see and what I what I read and what I follow. So you cannot hide anymore. And that's the one thing that I have always said is that. Sometimes it takes a little a little while for the truth to come out, but the truth is eventually going to come out. To fix it, it has to be a complete change in our in our culture and in our mentality and in Frank and you know and in the leadership in Washington D.C. But it's not going to even even uh, for a, a, a Donald Trump to come back, which I you know I mean he's the right one because he's so out of the box and he's so I mean look at what they've done to him and his family and everything right out home thing and all that, but. He's a person that comes in and just goes, push, you know, and he actually has the, you know, not just the, the sort of the wisdom, but he's also in, in a position of the presidency, understanding what he knows now. Because I don't believe he understood as bad as it 
was back when he was in the White House. See, I, I'm with him there. I, that's where we can agree. I, I don't think, and I'm not saying that I, I support, you know, Trump running again. What, I, what I'm saying is that I believe he didn't really know what he was getting into. Okay, I, I, that is something that I absolutely believe. I don't think he actually knew exactly what he was getting into. But hey, that's just me. That's partly why I'm standing up here today. General Flynn? Hold on. Because this is a super important point. Yep. Because if it's not fixed, we can't get past this. No. Yes, sir. So, you know, what do you do? You get in there and you, you look at the organizations, you look at the top leadership, you know, and you have to get rid of a lot of these people. I mean, there has to be whole cloth. Thank you for your service. Clean Have a house. nice day. Yes, sir. And, and, and now, and that's, one, that's, that's one part of it. The other part of it is accountability. So, because the American people want accountability. Right. And they want accountability because they know something happened. Right? So, we have to hold the right people accountable. And some of that accountability is not to say, well, we want all these people in jail or where. It's just to say, to expose them and to say, look, you know, you did this. Now, how do you want to be, you know, how do you want to be remembered in history? Because right now, the American people are not going to have anything, but it's not going to have any of it. In order to get there, though, it's going to take the American people, so as many people maybe combined that are listening to these things, it's going to take the American people to say, we can't take this anymore. You know, I mean, if we're, we're here, we talk about, you know, voting blocks. And large voting blocks, and you know, like I, I, you know, been inclined to say that the, you know, the, and we're based on Judeo-Christian principles <coughs> and values. In this country. You know, the Christian voting block in this country is huge. The Catholic voting block inside of the Christian voting block is gigantic. But like 50% of Catholics vote for Democrats. I know. So you kind of go, I mean, but we also had, we also had uh, Republican senators vote for the this recent marriage act. Yeah. But they're all, they'll all stand here and say they're a Christian. And we had, you know, I think 16 senators vote for this $1.7 trillion bill yeah. where we sent, where we sent uh, 100 to $110 billion over to Ukraine. Back to us. So, Back to them. But if you think about it, you know, yeah. we have 435 uh, members of the House of Representatives, right? So we took $100 billion, you divided by 435. You know how much money each district in this country could get? That's $200 million. I'm going to stop it there. You know, I think he did a good job of exposing the corruption. I think that when he talks about the Christian uh, voting block, you know, for me, the Republicans, the Democrats, same coin, slightly different flavors, right? I, I, I don't believe there's much difference, if any difference at all. Okay. And I think Flynn is also a good political uh, speaker, right? He's he's very good at not only addressing the situation, but being pretty eloquent about it and know what base he's speaking to. I know there are a lot of people out there that feel like he was uh, the guy behind QAnon. I don't believe that. I don't believe he was behind the QAnon sense. I think that a lot of these guys, especially at the top in those circles that were promoting Trump, realized a lot of that was Trump's base and they played up on it. You know, I know there's the infamous video of the pledge and yada, 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 but 
I don't think that he was in any way part of a psychological operation. I don't think that he was in contact with uh, the Watkinses after they took it over. I think the origins are pretty clear. A troll-based, DEFCON, uh, low-level people, maybe inside you know, the Trump administration in, in a way that they were like staffers for the uh, election. Okay in conjunction with the folks at DEFCON. Not not good people. Threw, threw a wrench in, in, in the whole thing. Made people believe in a lot of fairy tales. A lot of Johnny nonsense. And people hook, line, and sinker. Some people still aren't over it. You know, one of the funny things is, I think I've mentioned this before, is the guy that everybody was like, that's JFK Jr. He's there. He was like there until like the end end. And he he outlet and he he's got the same hat on, same scruffled beard, same suit, the whole nine, Fusco. In fact, this next clip with uh, Rebunked in the gang. Uh, this is again Rebunked, T Lav, uh, Courtney Turner actually d- discussed the uh, the Fusco happening. So here we go, guys. Check it out more from the Reawaken America tour put on by Clay Clark and the gang. Hey everybody, Jason Burmis here. We got a killer crew. Let's get it up top here. There we go. We got Courtney Turner. We got Rebunked and we got T Lab. We are at the Reawaken America tour. Bam, bam. <laughs> um, a lot of interesting folks here. Let me do this with my little camera really quickly. <laughs> that's that's how hardcore we are, guys. So, a lot of interesting people here. You just got done with a conversation with Dr. Peter McCullough. Tell us about that conversation. It was a great conversation, actually. It was really it was insightful. And, and you know, what I like is that he's not afraid to push back on things that a lot, I mean, a lot of this community might, you know, think is very, you know, something that's being argued. And so he's very objective. We had a re- great conversation, even about terrain theory versus yeah. germ theory. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's, so what, that's been a big actually real, I really loved how he handled it because uh, regardless of stance, but mm-hmm. he was actually objective but yet listened. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't right. uh, dogmatic. You know, I think a lot of people accuse him of being such, and he wasn't at all. Mm-hmm. So I really respect it and appreciated that. Well, that's even a conversation that I don't have a lot. You know what I mean? Because I'm pretty pretty much on the virus, and I'm not saying that, you know, Terrain might not have something to do with it, but I, I think when you discount all of virology and these bioweapons labs, why would they be everywhere? Well, bioweapons right? are not the yeah. same virology. And, and I think, to his point, though, and that's yeah. a good point, but what, what she asked, what Courtney asked was essentially, you know, the, the right, the question is, is there, you know, is there something more in between with the insinuation? Yeah. And it seems like they all are seeing that more. Like, I had great conversations with Andrew Kaufman more than once, and even he, when really taken to the extent, is willing to argue yeah there are things we don't know yeah. i think i tend to think there's more of a middle ground i do too I that's do exactly too. what i think you know? it's I like think... you have to take care of your body you have to take yeah. care of your training you have to take care of your health to reinforce the innate immune system and make you susceptible for disease and not only that when we're talking about viruses we're talking about something that is sub we have so everything is a theoretical model and therefore, if you're talking about theoretical models, as with all of science, you, you know, like Richard Feynman said, you know, there are many things and many questions that cannot be answered. If there are no answers, that cannot be questioned. And if you're dealing 
time. And so we should be able to take that new evidence and then get, hopefully use that to ask good questions and get closer to the truth. Because the reality is there's so much we just don't know. When it comes to the human body, I would argue we know so much less than we actually yeah. do. Even that people in the And be okay saying you don't know. That's yeah. a, so paramount. And you know what? That's the thing. Um, you know, we just had a great conversation on your show. And the focus of that, our three of us. yes, yes, yes. When I say your show, I mean the group show, Pirate Streams, and and really what it came down to was being open to questions and being open to conversations. So you guys actually got here a day before that I did. What would you say um, was the most surprise surprising aspect of this? Like, who did you talk to, and you're like, wow, that's really interesting, or you didn't think you were going to come across this information? Uh, I'll start the line over here. Go ahead. No, you got you got to okay. answer. Go, I go met for it. I met JFK Jr. Yes, I mean I mean I mean uh, 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 what's his name? Fusco. Or yes, I've yeah, seen yeah. Fusco yeah, at these yeah. events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, so I met JFK Jr. Guys, bam. So what? So what was that like? Let's let's. Like, it was cool. He was cool. I, was just, I just thought it was. He kind of basks in it. What about yeah, yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I, I don't know what's been the most interesting. I think actually what one of the things that's been most interesting is just what we're talking about. I think people expect this group to have a very specific mindset. Uh-huh. And what I've been really surprised by is really how open people are to discourse and to the discussion and to so many different viewpoints. Because I think people do think of even this event as being kind of pigeonholed. Everybody thinks the same way. And the reality is it's a, there's a big hodgepodge here. And I think so, too. And, you know, you're at the forefront of alternative media. I'd say The Last American Vagabond is one of the best alternative media sites out there, if not if not the best. And, I, you know, I'm not, and I'm not trying to see your own horn. I think that you do a really great job there. Your alternative media, you're not necessarily conservative or alt-right. In fact, I'd say you're absolutely not that. So well, same question to you. What, what has been uh, the most compelling thing here, the most surprising thing? Yeah, I mean, just to go off on the same point, because we were just talking about this. Like, it's it, it's actually even funny enough with my Uber driver say, having this conversation on the way here, you know? Driver, yeah. And that they're just blown away by the different types of people that they're seeing and that it's it just – the point is I think, at least in my perspective right now, I think that the false two-party paradigm but the right side of it is more – right now to outside perspectives just like the left was more uh during the bush administration and and the anti-war yes yes exactly and so right now i think what what we're seeing is that there's a lot of people here that are here because that's the only grouping that will let them have a a day and talk and and engage with conversation and so you find that it's more eclectic than you realize and people you know so we talked with two great people i think we're there actually with jim price yeah Yeah. and 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 i i wasn't very familiar with and was just blown away by the interesting conversation and the, the nuance and the objectivity. And so it was really just inspiring to me to realize that there's, you know, maybe even from my own perspective, judging more than I should. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. And so it's, it's been really great. I really enjoyed it. So what's next? Um, obviously, the Reawaken America Tour is going to Miami and Las Vegas. The midterms are over. I would largely say uh, the infrastructure of our voting system is still in peril. It has been for 15 to 12. Well, we, we, we could say forever. There's definitely been corruption. Well over a century. My my concern is the way that we got away from physical ballots and physical counts uh, more and more since 2000, the last 20 plus years. And now there seems to be no accountability, no audits whatsoever. And the narrative now, if you question elections and you're on the wrong side of the mainstream media narrative is you are an election denier, just like you were a 9-11 denier. And of course, questioning anything World War II makes you a Holocaust denier. And that is why they use that term denier is to try to 
I think, equate people with Holocaust denial that would dare question elections. What do you guys think about that? It's a good point because that just in general to the association. But I think it's more than that. I think it's as simple as getting it down to a binary thing. Right yes. where you're not, there's no nuance. I can't point out that's bad and that's good. You're either denier or you're for, which is a really, as you, to your point, it's a silly thing to say. What do you mean election denier? We know they happen. They're they're cheated, right? But it's like the denier. You know, it's kind of like we see with wars. You're an Assad apologist. It's like there's so much more going on involved in this conversation. So I think what it, what it does is it creates the binary left right paradigm divide, and then it never gets solved. So we point to the other side and said we should both be pointing at the government. That's that's the point. Well, and and it is it, as you said, it is. To create the binary inconsistency the Hegelian dialectic. Exactly. And this is the goal of the dialectic is to lead to negation. Because when you have the negation, you have chaos and So they can come in with their you know, quote unquote solution or whatever it is that they're going to step in with, which is going to be the, the control mechanism to the So I guess the last thing to wrap it up in this little 10 minute conversation is you know, you're talking about talking points, talking about the word denier. I would say that anything outside of the narrative now that isn't equated to the election and that you question is a Russian or Putin talking point. You know, and, you know, Ryan, you guys, have everybody here is about the same age. We grew up in an era where the 80s was largely focused on Russia being the enemy and that eventually we toppled communists. Boris Yeltsin rocked the vote, everybody. Old Gorby did it right. And then all of a sudden, as soon as you get Trump in there, because there was a normalization of relationships with uh, Russia via the Bush administration into the Obama administration, like we had never seen in our generation before, to the point where, you know, if you watch that on Burberry Hill where he's singing, you got Kurt Russell and uh, his his celebrity wife over there cheering it on. And, and it was fine. No one points out Kurt Russell is a Russian sympathizer, okay, <laughs> or, or a, a, a Putin puppet. But you put an article out questioning mandates. Russian apologist to right. Putin. It's the same point. It's as simple as creating some arbitrary, and that's just a dumb example. It's like they thought, what else we do? Let's just do the same old thing. <laughs> just jam it into the Russian conversation like it has anything to do with that. Their point is that that argument is not true. And the only reason I think that I think it is because I heard it from Russian influence. And it's just, it's ridiculous. No, we had a, a measured investigation and we looked at the science and, you know, it's just funny how that works. But I, I think it all comes back to this kind of, you know, like we're talking about the dialectical dissonance. That's what we call our podcast that yeah. and we're trying to break this down, break away from this dialectical manipulation. Well, what's on the point of Russia, though, since we're wrapping this up, I thought was interesting. And you, you know, I've talked about stuff like this before, is that going back to Afghanistan, let's say, and the Mujahideen, the argument, going back to the narrative, is that ultimately, that, that well, I guess, no, it's one step behind the narrative, is that they, we now know today that they funded and grew the Mujahideen to, to use against... Freedom Soviet fighters, bro. Freedom fighters. Right. It was Rambo 3. And, yeah, right. And the interesting part, though, is that that is given the credit for essentially like how they toppled the Soviet Union. There's so much more to that. Right. Now, overlap that with Ukraine today, right? It's the same game, the same players, the same CIA, the same funding of a fascist entity with the argument of trying to use it against them. So are they clumsy? Are they doing the same thing over again? Is there more behind it? The point is, I think we're starting to see today the strings on fucking everything. You know what I mean? Like just every little deep part of it going back and going forward. So well, I'm just fascinated by it. I've made the argument that, you know, obviously we've always had misinformation and disinformation, right? Mm -hmm. But now we have what is almost a complete inversion of the truth, where you, they almost have to make it totally and completely opposite and sell you on that fact. 
This has been a really great conversation. Everybody down the line, where can we find your individuals? Uh, I'm the Courtney Turner Podcast. You can find me at CourtneyTurner.com. It's Courtney, though, so C-O-U-R-T-E-N-A-Y, Turner, T-U-R. That's tough. I'm not going to lie. That's a tough one. Might want to change that name yourself. All right, Rebunk.News, and then, of course, check out the Last American Vagabond Substack, TLA vagabond.substack.com. We got stuff coming out all the time. I love TLA Vagabond. Right, right. And, and just don't forget, Rebunked is now part of T-Lab, right? So this, we're, and then Pirates Free Media is all together, right? TheLastAmericanVagabond.com, best place to go for everything. But we do now, we will be having PiratesFreeMedia.com coming out. It's there right now. We just haven't got it set up. So keep an eye out for that. We've got a lot of stuff coming your way. So thanks for the I chat. I just want to shout out real quick to The Unjected Show, streaming every Fridays at 9 p.m. on rockfin, rockfin.com forward slash unjected, brought to you by the unvaccinated dating website, unjected.com, taking your calls live. Uh, we just had Peter McCullough on this last time, so come check it out. It's a lot of fun. All right, guys, that's the wrap from the Reawaken America Tour. I love you guys. Not about left or right. Always about right and wrong. And I'll see you all on the flip side. So we have a clip. Also, of Trennis Evans um, and, and, again, Ashley Babbitt's mother, Mickey Whithoff. It's a really good interview. I think we're going to save that for the premium portion of the broadcast. All the interviews uh, individually will get put up over at uh, Rockfin uh, and possibly, uh, probably Rumble, too. I'll put them on Rockfin and Rumble. Uh, Rockfin first and then Rumble. Because they the next ones I just can't play. I can't put, I can't dare put, even though the vast majority about it has nothing to do with you know what. Uh, I can't risk even putting my presentation on there, and, and it sucks. It really does. I, I wish that YouTube was a platform in which I, I didn't have to quote unquote self censor. That we could watch the Peter McCullough interview and play the hardcore stuff. Because it's a hardcore interview. Let me repeat that. It's a hardcore interview. It's an important one. One of my more important ones. The Jay Dyer one. Extremely fun. Don't think I can get away with it here. Don't think I can get away with it here. Because so much of what's happening, especially in this transhuman movement, has to do with that bio nanotech, that sweet, sweet injectable bio nanotech. Okay. I do want to go over this story before we uh, wrap up the first hour. Go over to redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored or redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. Try the first week out for a buck. Okay. And, and again, so many shows. Uh, Ray Dietrich, uh, the founder, he does a show. Drew Berquist does a show. Um, my my lovely and amazing girlfriend. So watch out for some of the stuff she's going to be putting out via the Gateway Pundit. And Red Voice Media uh, did an excellent interview with Peter McCullough as well. Uh, so, I mean, she kicks butt, period, period. When, I, when I'm watching her do her thing and interview people, I'm just so impressed. It's it's over the top. I'm such a lucky guy. And the McCullough stuff is important because here you have somebody who's 100% genuine, isn't afraid to challenge dogmas, just like Ryan Christian said uh, about what certain people are saying here may not be right all the time, but humble about it. Okay. Admitting we all make mistakes. You know, we're human beings. Imagine that. Imagine getting something wrong and admitting it. So, so getting to inversion of reality news, can't make it up. Aretha Franklin's song, natural woman deemed offensive. 
and it is uh, being slammed by uh, Standing for Women founder Kelly J. Keene saying it's really hard to ignore the misogyny of the trans rights movements as Aretha Franklin's song, Natural Woman, was recently <laughs> slammed as offensive. <laughs> I mean, come on. What are we doing here? I, I need to exit out because it's too much. I need to exit out because it's too too much. Uh, by the way, this American Life, like I said, this is the uh, more mainstream. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be not so great to a lot of these people. But then again, you know, I hear things all the time while I'm over at these things that I don't agree with as well. And then there's some really interesting people. Um, and there was a couple kids there. Apparently, this little 12-year-old, he makes stop-motion Legos. Kind of cool. And I know how much those Legos cost. I was like, man, you... You could have picked something a little cheaper. How much was your last Lego set? I, I know how much. And he showed me he was like paid 330 bucks. I go, no, nah, man, I, I get I get my Legos over at the uh, TJ Maxx and Ross. I don't really get Legos, folks. And, and even there, they're unreal. Unreal. You, I mean, when you're talking about like a 300-piece a set, like one of those boxes this big, 80, 120, 150 bucks. Even if you get them at the TJ Maxx, you're talking 60 bucks plus tax. Legos, plastic toys. And you know what's funny? Uh, Jay Dyer and I also are sitting there during doing the uh, Courtney Turner podcast. This little dude, um, very impressive little guy, is doing his own podcast. And he's interviewing somebody with one of the elongated skulls. Now, I don't know if... Uh, I'm in the middle of the podcast. Jay Dyer and I both comment on it, end up talking about, uh, what was it, uh, William Henry and a little Ancient Aliens and these other things. But I'm wondering if this is like one of the legit skulls because it's small. Like it's it's tiny too. Like the elongated skulls, you think it's a tiny person. It looks like a kid skull. And so I don't know whether it was a real skull or it was a replication of the skulls. It, no idea. Very, very interesting. You know, maybe maybe I'll find out by finding that kid's uh, website, Rumble, YouTube, whatever he's got, and checking out that interview so uh, I can find out for sure. But that, that was another thing. You know, you don't see that much, especially at these events, which is kind of refreshing because to me, I, I think the alien issue, right, is one to obfuscate, obstruct, and infiltrate the consciousness of human beings to mask okay to mask hidden technologies classified pr programs in um genetic not only i guess chimeric research but all all sorts of multi-species molecular and genomic programs let's put it in that that broad sense the kind of stuff we see in that nasa document so i don't and, and holly weird so 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 in bed with the military industrial complex on so many levels elevating narratives and being used to manipulate our minds because unfortunately subconsciously so many of us see something in a movie or on a television show and fantasize about that being reality and in many cases that relationship to what we believe is more real than reality 
more human than a human. And if you don't know where the more human than a human comes from, if you think it's just a Rob or white zombie song before Rob Zombie went solo, it's not. It's not. It's it's from the book in which Blade Runner uh, is based on Do uh, Electric Sheep's Dream, I believe. Is, man, is that it? Do Electric Sheep's Dream? No, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. See? I got to get sharper. I got to way sharper than that pull up the memories. So you can come on over to the uh, Podbean portion of the broadcast for free, the infowarrior.podbean.com. Or really what you want to do is you want to get on one of these magic devices or on the thing. You just look for the Info Warrior podcast. It should already be streaming. That's the way you listen to these interviews for free. Otherwise, you got to come over to redvoicemedia.com slash Jason Burmis, or I'm sorry, slash what is it? Slash Jason. Sorry, not slash Jason Burbis. Slash Jason or slash uncensored. Look at that. Look at that smug look on my face uh, to see the rest of these. And uh, again, I'll be posting them individually on Rockfin probably later in the day. Uh, probably this evening, we're going to be doing mixed martial mindset as well over here. Yeah, because I can't I can't do it at the normal time. I got to just move it to a nighttime broadcast uh, on Mondays. I mean, see if Fitch can do that. So uh, once again, we're going to start leaving the uh, the mainline stuff. We're going to start going over to premium at redvoicemedia.com. I want to remind everybody, it's not about left or right. It's always about right and wrong. Uh, I would go speak at any event to any group of people. And I, I, oh, I'm getting a little feedback right there um, on the repeat. But but as that goes on, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to start down the line. Rockfin. I love you guys. You're going to be getting all these interviews that I'm about to play later on in the day, as well as my presentation where I'm going to clean up the audio a little bit as well. YouTube, it's been a blast, but I could do without the censorship. Uh, Twitter, you know how I feel. And of course, Rumble, we out. We gone. All right. So with that being said, guys, I'm going to wait for my uh, producer here. And once I get a Texty McGinty, then we will um, essentially run right over to these interviews, including Trennis Evans, uh, Mickey Babbitt, I'm sorry, Mickey Whithoff. I keep saying that, and I feel like a dick because so, I know how it goes. Mickey Whithoff, um, Peter McCullough. Maybe I should play the Peter McCullough one first. Maybe, maybe since uh, you're coming over, uh, the Peter McCullough one is, is the one to do first because that, that is a really interesting one. And again, so glad that we got it done. So we're good to go, and here we go. Hey, everybody, Jason Burmis here, and we've got a big interview right here. I've been waiting for Peter McCullough for quite some time, and I haven't got him on my regular show, but he's been doing an amazing job, especially talking about the military-industrial complex aspect of these shots. They remember that I interviewed this lovely lady behind me over at Making Sense of the Madness about a month ago about what was going on in the hospitals, how people were being deprived of actual care, and of course, protocols that they had not only didn't work, but seemed to have harmed their patients. So I guess the first question is, when did each of you have your first reservations, not only about the shots themselves, but the virus? I'll tell you, it was March of 2020 for me when uh, I was leading some health system 
task force activities and there was a call. And I, I asked, I said to the doctor, I said, when are we going to start to treat this? I said, if we don't treat this at home, they're going to pour into the hospital and someone's going to die. And there was dead silence. And I realized, oh my word, the doctors are not going to treat the patients. And then obviously you had firsthand experience watching what they were treating them with. Even the World Health Organization, who I would divest no amount of trust in, said that remdesivir did not work. Correct. And yet, yeah. remdesivir is something that's still parroted by many mainstream doctors as some kind of a safe haven to use for their patients for this, even uh, though we know about the kidney damage. Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I left bedside nursing. I was an ICU nurse. I worked throughout the pandemic. Uh, they were using remdesivir, which again, like you said, the World Health Organization recommended against its use because it is not effective in treating COVID-19. Let's talk about why that is, right? It's an antiviral medication. It relies on some form of viral replication in order to be effective. By the time that these patients were getting up to us in the hospital, past their replication phase, already several days into their symptomatic phase. So it's not going to be effective. So the bigger question that I have is why are we using these medications? They are clearly doing and good, and why is the government financially incentivizing its use? We had safe and effective medications available, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, which even if they didn't help, certainly couldn't have done any harm. These were safe, safely used in humans for three decades. And I, I would also argue budesonide as a steroid. In fact, there was a, a lot of studies that were coming out of even China that were saying things like steroids may help, nitric oxide, which increases blood flow might help, but none of that ever trickled into the mainstream, and certainly not the narrative being pushed by the authority, uh, the authority, the authoritative sources, the authoritarians, the administration, anybody. Are we going to get any accountability? Well, at some point in time, there will be investigations on what happened. The community standard of care is always determined by doctors and nurses caring for patients in the field, not by government agencies and not by medical nursing boards. We decide the community standard of care. If a doctor and nursing and staff, if we have found ivermectin to be useful through a range and continuum of the illness, and inhaled budesonide, and oral corticosteroids, uh, anticoagulants, antiplatelet drugs, if we found them to be useful, that's the only thing that matters. And the government in no way can stand, stand between a doctor and nurse trying to deliver care, resulting in patients being hospitalized and dying. That's what we saw. And it's a crime, and it's a crime for all time. I absolutely agree. Let's talk about Moderna. Let's talk about Gartner. They started a strategic mRNA collaboration all the way back in 2013. This was a $25 million grant to fight pandemics of all things, both zoological and natural, and of course, bioweapons. Why don't more people understand about that collaboration and partnership that expanded and extended to a much bigger partnership with a strategic mRNA collaboration via the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Merck, Barda, AstraZeneca, uh, the Institute Pasteur amongst them. Will the public ever find out about this? Will this be something that's discussed and talk about that partnership? Our government has not come clean with America on what they've been doing, uh, including President Trump when he first came out and announced Operation Warp Speed. DARPA, the research unit of the military, in 2012 on their website said they are going to use messenger RNA to end pandemics within 60 days. They said it. It's on their website. The flow of money started to Moderna and other companies shortly after that. 
this is in the open. There was a plan to develop and make SARS-CoV-2 more lethal, subcontracted out to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and at the same time, in parallel, come up with vaccines and monoclonal antibodies. These are well-documented peer-reviewed papers by Menachery as first author, Barrick as senior author, published in 2015, summarizing work from 2012 to 2015. The reference people need to read is Peter Bregan, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. There's 36 pandemic preparedness planning events documented since 2012. 25% of them generate written documents you can read, and six of them were filmed. If you don't believe it, you can actually watch the planning meetings, including Event 201, where the head of the Chinese CDC comes over and helps our public health agencies anticipate exactly what happened. That's right. We did a watch along with the entire five-plus-hour Event 201. The latest one, catastrophic contagion. For some reason, we only get clips, very short clips, not the whole thing. I want to talk about the Defense Department because my problem is once you have the Defense Department involved, Peter, there is no reason they have to tell you the truth. They basically have a built-in liability. Is that going to be the major hurdle in the next steps of accountability? Well, if the, the rules that are written now, going back to uh, the PrEP Act and the CARES Act, the words that are used are military words. There are countermeasures. That's a military term. Emergency use authorized authorization. That's a military mechanism. And what we're learning now is that what's going on is actually an intelligence community national security operation. So we've learned that the FBI, for instance, is in the offices of Twitter and now Facebook. We are realizing that our military and our intelligence community has been hand in glove with our public health agencies orchestrating the entire SARS CoV 2 pandemic and its response. Absolutely. So we're at a point where the pandemic is still signed off on, right? It's supposedly still going on. We had a you know zombie puppet at a car show tell us it was over, and then we had Karine Jean Pierre assure us it was not. He signed on to this. We have probably the most outwardly puppeted administration ever in our lifetimes. It's pretty apparent to any thinking person Joe Biden doesn't run the country. So what do we do to get any sort of accountability within this administration? Or is that going to be an impossibility and we kind of have to hope for the next administration? Kim, do you have any view I mean, on you know, this? My view is, listen, we have all of the numbers to right this ship, right? We, the people, have the power. We have the numbers, but people, unfortunately, they lack the courage. So I think that what we need to do is inspire courage in people. Because if we are standing up and saying no more, then, you know, this is over. So the longer that we comply um, on any level, this is going to continue. So it's mass noncompliance all the way forward. No masks, no lockdowns, no vaccine, no mandates. We have all of the numbers to write the ship. We just have to come up with the cards. So I guess this is probably going to be my toughest question. Now, there are two narratives that are kind of acceptable. One is the zoological. And then, of course, that's been basically disproved. You have a Moderna patent uh, about a, two and a half years after uh, their partnership with DARPA, where they patent a cancer drug that has a 12-sequence DNA nucleotide that's identical to the virus. Not identical to the vaccine, but identical to the virus. I would contend that the evidence shows that this thing was probably released and seeded. There is a lot of evidence to show that it was in the United States all the way back in October when they were doing event 201. 
Why is that not even part of the conversation? That this could have been a planned event and even outside of a nation state, as we know that these things were being worked on in Chapel Hill, Wuhan, and more than likely other places. The planning and the uh, the uh, virulization of SARS-CoV-2 and the development of vaccines and monoclonal antibodies is well documented in the medical literature from 2012 all the way up to 2019. The work was done in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The manuscripts say that. They, in the second paper, Mediterranean Barrack, there's three Chinese authors, including the bat lady. That's clear. What's really not known is was this an intentional release or was it an accidental release? And my review of this, I'm not an investigative reporter, and this is the work of investigative reporters and investigative committees, and it's probably going to go all the way in terms of grand juries, special prosecutors, uh, uh, international court, on and on. My anticipation, though, is that it was an accidental release. And what we've seen from this is just one cover-up after another cover-up after another cover-up. It's been lay, it's been layered uh, uh, on uh, incompetency and then corruption, malfeasance, profiteering, racketeering, syndicates. All of this creates this web of what we call the biopharmaceutical complex. We outlined this in our book, Currency-Based COVID-19. Something's gone drastically wrong. The victims are the people of the world. And the perpetrators are now a complex syndicate, probably at the top is the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the Gates Foundation, the Wellcome Trust, the Rockefeller Foundation, Gabby, CEPI, which Gates founded with World Economic Forum, Unitate, all the um, regulatory agencies, FDA, MHRA, TGA, CDC, NIH, <laughs> the suppliers, Big Pharma and Invitro Diagnostics, they are working as a conglomerate. Well, they've learned a method, and the method is declare a national emergency, the doors of treasury swing open, and trillions of dollars flow. Well, I would also say that in order to make this work, one of the things they did is they told, and when I say they, World Health Organization, the authoritative sources, you can check out the NPR article for yourself. They told you that the flu completely disappeared. So in 2019 to 2020, you had 400,000 hospitalizations for the flu. Uh, by February of that year, they had said there had only been 164, not 164,000, 164. You, you are both medical professionals. Is there any possible way that the flu decided to disappear from the northern and southern hemisphere during that time period? Or is that, again, part of the cover-up and the idea that everything became COVID? Yeah, everything. They were they were turning everything into COVID. But was COVID really killing our patients? That's what they were trying to convince us. Convince us that is that COVID was killing our patients. But that wasn't the case at all. It was actually the medical, complete and total medical mismanagement of COVID that was killing everybody. It was the remdesivir that we were giving them. If you think about it, were, were patients dying at home? Were they dying on our streets? Why were we not pulling bodies? Because the only place that patients were dying was in our hospitals, and we really need to start asking why that is. Mr. McCullough, what do you think about the flu? There's no doubt about it, unless influenza and SARS-CoV-2 were tested in the same patient, there's no doubt about it, some people were actually misdiagnosing as having COVID. Now, that means that someone with the flu was unnecessarily isolated, or harmfully administered remdesivir, corticosteroids, other drugs they didn't need. 
I mean, this is atrocious. I think any person who was hospitalized with COVID-19 should pull their records and make sure that they were tested for both flu and COVID. And it was this differential incentivized testing for COVID to call it COVID and start to capitalize on the flow of money from HHS that drove so much wrong to Well, this has been an amazing interview. I want to thank you guys for uh, taking the time. And I, and I need to get both of you on my show for a good hour where we can really, uh, you know, dial this down. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Um, I, I I realized that I was just muted. Really happy with that interview. Man, I hate when I do that. But then I don't want like you to hear me while the clips are on. So I need to get, man, there's no, usually there's a red glow. It's a great board, but there's no red glow on this one. Maybe I got to get my little one. Maybe I should just get a second little one. We're doing tech show notes on the air. I disagree with Peter that this, again, I, I put him on the spot. Could this have been a seeded virus? I talked about October. I talked about organizations outside of nation states. And guess what? Guess what? Old Petey here, he figured it out. He's like, well, it is a consortium. He he still goes with the leak thing and, you know, accidental and cover up. But when, think about how many he talked about the Rock, Rockefeller Foundation. Obviously, World Economic Forum, Gates Foundation, and a FDA, right? NIH in on it, WHO. He's gone farther than anybody else mainline by far, by far. So next up, we're going to bring up uh, Trent, uh, uh, man, Trentus Evans, and we're going to bring up uh, Mickey Whithoff. And listen, listen, it's emotional when uh, Mickey Whithoff steps in like the second half of the interview, but it's tough for me to watch that video, man. And it's not that video. There's a couple of them, but just I don't like watching videos of people being killed, period. Not my favorite thing. Don't enjoy it. Yucky. So. Let's just go right over here. <laughs> hey, everybody. Jason Burmis here, and I am with Trennis Evans. Now, some of my audience may be familiar with Trennis as I have been. Uh, substitute hosting on Making Sense of the Madness. We spent some time together. We talked January 6th. But for those that are unaware of your story, can you briefly tell people? Oh, man. So the fast track is, is you know, for me, January 6th is so far in the interview here. I know people are still interested because they're now kind of getting a grasp of it. I was inside the building. I was literally leading the National Anthem of the Pledge of Allegiance. I entered through a window next to a door. Where everybody was going through because I didn't want to stop and wait for this big hustle and bustle. It was like, well, I have like 100 plus deep to get in. And I was like, man, this is a long line. I would be able to step through the window. So I step, I walk over and I look through this window and I can see through the window that people are hugging the police, giving taking selfies, literally officers coming out and going, hey, and smiling for pictures, right? Like mm -hmm. Jason and I are doing here. And I see this go on, right? I'll I'll see see the the we have awesome videos. Yeah, right? we do. Like, actually, this is the best one I've ever made. It's nice and cool. I know it is. Well, you look at the tent in the background, and if you go in that tent, 
It is packed. Oh, packed house. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. I don't know how many thousand people are here. Two to three, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so long story short. Uh, so there I am, and I'm leading the national anthem of the Pledge of Allegiance as I'm marching out here to Belgium, right? And I'm just, oh, which is awesome. I don't know if you get to see that last night. I have not, no, no. Laura Logan and Gerald Flynn and I did the Pledge of Allegiance on stage 9 Eastern every night we sing with the prisoners. Okay. So it's awesome. 9 o'clock Eastern, so wherever you are, you should be singing the national anthem. The guys that have been forgotten that are still singing the national anthem for a country that's largely forgotten. But so I go run, go through the building. It comes out in the court documents. It's on the record. Nine and a half of the 12 minutes I've been inside, I'm helping the police. Literally helping the police. So what I do the other three minutes and change, I sing the national anthem. I let the Pledge of Allegiance. I wave down a window and I drink a shot of fireball. And that, for whatever that is, I'm now an insurrectionist. You, you came and brought a SWAT team, the FBI, Joint Domestic Terrorism Task Force, made of all the three-letter agencies, shows up with a SWAT team and puts my wife and child at gunpoint on my front porch. And me, now thankfully, the two agents that arrested me, the two arresting agents, were actually decent people. And that I'm thankful for, so I don't never tell anything but the truth about how that happened. But there was other guys there that would have loved for me to even look like I was about to flinch. I mean, they were literally came there with the idea that someone beat a black police officer to death in fire How do you think that that is mixing on March of They were still filled with that misinformation, misinformation, malinformation, or something. You see something, say something. Large part of the FBI, there were these lies going around. I told about the four murders, you know, and nobody wanted to hear those things. Well, you know, it's funny you said that if you see something, say something, right? So the FBI so, website today. So one of, one of the things that I, I know, because I started out at the Ellipse, and for those that don't know, at the Ellipse, there was a median road where they had a checkpoint, and no backpacks or, or extras were allowed, and yet you had stacks of literally hundreds of backpacks unattended everywhere and that was the if you see something say something line that if you saw an unattended bag or you saw uh, a suitcase of some sort make your make whip off right there by the way um Hold on, I'm gonna go introduce Nick to Bell and I'll be right okay. back. Okay. Um, no, no, you're fine. This is one of those wild interviews that Jason does. <laughs> this is what happens when you get like people that aren't like celebrities or whatever. You yeah. just get like real people. Joe's. This is the kind of thing we talk to people. But 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 what do you think? Isn't that kind of ironic that you know they they fed us this uh, terror hogwash <laughs> that you if you see something say something unattended bags. And then law enforcement in D.C. literally made you unattend your bag to the tune of hundreds and thousands in a crowd of tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands, even a million people. And that's not talked about. Wait a minute. How about this? What if I saw something say something? I saw a stolen election and I wanted to go tell somebody and they were in the Capitol. I mean, I, was, I saw something. I wanted to say something. I mean, that consistent with what we're supposed to do. Like, I don't know. I kind of like the whole idea of the First Amendment, right? <laughs> and they want to say that there's a time and a place and a way to do it. Well, somebody please tell me when that was, because as far as I can tell, you had, you know, millions of Americans jumping up and down going, whoa, what's going on here? But yet everybody wants to play, the government wanted to play the shut up and go to your room, young man, role with all of us, right? Send us to our room without saying something. And I'm sorry, in this case, they were wrong. This, they absolutely have been wrong. More evidence has come out of that. And here we all are suffering in our country. We have a blizzard occupant like Joe Biden in the White House operating this country fraudulently. And look what's happening. Southern borders are over poured. 
We all knew this was coming. Anyone that had their ear to the ground on any kind of political measure whatsoever knew this is where we were headed, Jason. And here we are. And now this is what you get for it. So, you know, the old elections have consequences. The old elections have consequences. I mean, it wasn't a stolen election. They stole your entire country right out from under you. And the American people, this the idea is what they're doing to me. And 900 and something other J6ers is to shut you down, shut you up, make you scared to say something. Why do you think they're hitting the veterans so hard? Why do you think they're pulling their benefits? Why are you doing why are they doing all this? It's a message that if the veterans were to stand up, right? If they were to say something, if they were to organize, which would be an easy thing to do, that they would they were telling you exactly where you're gonna be. The penalties were tough, the change will be heavy, your walk will be dark, right? And that's kind of the way it is. So but listen. We have help. So condemnedusa.com is what I do. We are legal advocacy. We have, I've spoken to over 400 of the January 6th defendants. Uh, we represent in one way or another, whether it be the legal interest or what have you, over 50 of these people. They need your help, folks. Last night we had a great outpouring of support. We raised $25,000 on the stage. It's amazing. I, I, I'm going to tell you what, but that's blown away. Well, uh, that just shows you the power of these events. You know, I, I, I'm, as you're probably aware, I'm not an ultra MAGA guy. I'm not even a conservative. You know, I want accountability. I'm a constitutionalist and I get the opportunity to talk to people that may not um, agree with my perspective or know about the information and they come in spades. They're like, whoa, blown away. So I mean, you're a journalist. <laughs> but but at the same time, but you're not and you don't want to feed a narrative and just tell it one way. You'll Let, tell it like the truth. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I don't need you to be just like me. Well, that's I the need point. You to be just like you. Exactly, and that's, that's what you. and that's why Clay's events are great because it is a diverse crowd, and you are able, yeah, you're able to reach, uh, you know, a large audience, right? If people are checking out my stuff that would never checked out my stuff, and people are donating to your cause that were completely unaware of how to do so, right? Yeah. Well, that's great. So listen. When they're what they're doing to these veterans, what they're doing to these people, 72% of these people are law enforcement. All right, the 90 plus obtain free trial. Think about it, Jason. And we talked about this before, but you go shoot a mayoral candidate, you go shoot up a shopping mall, you go shoot at a school, and you can get bombed. These people can't get bombed because they're domestic violence extremists. Well, let, well let, let, let's talk about let's take that another level. You can shoot a president and shoot Brady in the head. Okay, and literally the guy that tried to assassinate a president, and you're out. John Hinckley's out, and he's been out for a very long time. He's had an ankle bracelet for a very long time. Mickey Whithoff, please come in. Um, for those who are unfamiliar, this is Mickey Whithoff. This is the uh, mother of Ashley Babbitt. And uh, I know that uh, you were recently arrested um, at a vigil, you know, that you've been doing for months. Uh, outside of the jail where they are detaining many of the uh, January 6th defendants. You know, let, let people know how they can support you. Because out of everybody, I mean, you're on the ground all the time. And you really, talk about skin in the game, you lost your body. Well, yeah, we were, um, I was actually um, arrested out in front of the Capitol that they had blocked off on the 6th and we were unable to lay flowers. And um, I am in D.C. every night at a, a, a candlelight vigil for the January 6th uh, um, political prisoners um you can support us at forashley.com you can support the prisoners uh, there's a link on that page to donate to their individual gifts and goes a link to patriot mail project if you want to write them letters um please join us on freedom
here if you're in D.C. It's 1901 E Street Southeast. Uh, Google the Congressional Cemetery. We're around there every night from 7 to 9.30. What are you doing? Tell me you do at 9 a.m. Oh, at night. Uh, hashtag Sing for Freedom with the uh, people God inside the gulag. God bless pie. They call and uh, sing with us over my phone through a microphone into a speaker that goes out on our live streamers. So we sing every night at 9 o'clock the national anthem with the uh, men in the American uh, gulag. And, um, you know, join, join with us at wherever you're at, 9 p.m. Eastern time, we sing every night the National Anthem. And obviously you're in Tennessee right now at this event. Will you be back in D.C. next week, so starting Monday? Will you be doing this again? I'll be back in D.C. doing uh, the vigil tomorrow night. And there are people there holding the vigil now. We live in... So even before Monday, Sunday night. I'll be there Sunday night, yeah. But there are people now, Nicole Reppin, Tommy Tatum, uh, uh, Gary McBride, and a bunch of loyal patriots that join us out there every night. We have people come from all over the country that can stay a couple nights, and we appreciate having them every time they come. It's Nicole's channel that she has now, or her news. Oh um, my gosh, she's, she's doing it. Um, Nicole Rep, that's Guy Reppin's wife. Guy Reppin. One of the first J6 or sentence. Uh, you have uh, Tommy Tatum News, Gary McBride is M5 News. These people are out there reporting nightly. You can watch that. Yeah, you know, Josh is great. Yeah, David yeah, I mean, Valentine with Freedom Express. Uh, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's people doing this. Yeah, I mean, every night. I, I, I click. I, you know, I very rarely click on much media. I actually went back and watched our interview with every Oh, good. And then I clicked on a few of uh, these guys regularly. But I usually get it firsthand. I talk to Randy. I talk to somebody over there. Well, firsthand is always the best way to get the information. You mentioned you raised a lot of money yesterday. How can my audience support you? Where can they go right now to make a donation and really make a difference? Because, look, we'd love to have you out in D.C. We'd love to, for you to take a part online. We'd love sharing the links, the emails on social media. But the bottom line is you guys are boots on the ground. Financially, where do they support us? So I'm condemnedusa.com. We do legal efforts to the prisoners. We don't listen. I'll be clear. We don't just turn over money to a bunch of attorneys. I'm very frugal with this money. Here's how it works. They have to be vetted through us. And most of our guys are pro bono. The people that I have out there right now are not getting paid. You're one of them, and he's not happy about it. Sorry, Steve. But anyway, <laughs> even if you're not getting paid, it's okay because you're doing the right thing, Steve. That's right. So, but we're paying for the housing for attorneys that are pro bono. We're paying for food, meals, lift tickets, right? The, the lift rides, or Uber, or whatever they're taking around. We're keeping the expense off of these guys so they can go and work and give up their time. I mean, you're talking about 10, 12, 15 weeks trial that are going on, and we've done months of work ahead of this. No one got paid. I don't get paid $1. I don't take a nickel. That's not what it's about. This is about doing the right thing for people. This is about the J6 defendants. Nikki has helped people. She's, her organization at poorashley.com has been awesome. She's done so much, and she was telling you earlier about the links. There are so many good people. There's about a dozen organizations. Actually, you can go on American Gulag and check out a letter I wrote to the president. I listed the 12 organizations that I'm 100% behind and believe in. They're on that page, and there's a bunch of them. And a letter to the president. Just trying to set up the Yes, and don't forget, like, if you have, if you, if you just want to donate to a prisoner individually, you can choose a prisoner and donate to them directly to them. You can also, there's a link on probably your uh, website, and I know my website's are right these men. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's good old-fashioned snail mail, so at mail call, people have things uh, come in the mail. And a lot of people start alphabetically from top to bottom, so maybe some people want to start.
start bottom to top. So or in the middle. Or in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah grab an M. So that everybody gets a letter, and then these men uh, talk about how they appreciate it all the time, and how much they enjoy getting support. Well, I appreciate you guys because the media is not laying off this narrative. They're talking about more and more cases, maybe up to another thousand people Two. being charged. Two thousand people being charged. Oh, that won't be the end. I mean, again, they're running with this, folks. They're, they've tried to take our entire country away. And these are two people that are battling that system. So, Trenitz, Mickey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So I want to say one more thing, too. Um, I want justice and an investigation into the death of my daughter, Ashley Babbitt, the death of Roseanne Boylan, the death of Ke Kevin Phillips, Greeson. Uh, Kevin Greeson, and Benjamin Phillips. So, so we need to have a real investigation into what happened that day. And they hold American citizens ultimately responsible for their behavior in every place they were that day. We absolutely need accountability from our capital police and our government. 100%. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Powerful interview. Can't be easy uh, for Mickey Whithoff uh, to sit there and uh, have to talk about her dead daughter all the time. To have to be one of the few people that is uh, at the forefront of these January uh, 6th hearings. And again, who are these other 1,000, 2,000 people that they're going to charge? I was there. I documented it. Am, am I going to be one of them for daring to film what was going on and then put it out into the public arena and not working for Getty Images or the Associated Press? Is that where we're at? Might be. Might be. All right. Up next, uh, I think this is uh, uh, another great conversation that was had at this event uh this is myself and jay dyer all right there he is we are live not really we're kind of live kind of live in the darkness um jay dyer you uh were on timcast last night you happened to come through tennessee first you're now at the reawaken america event uh tell us what you got going on while you're out here Right, so um, the people who organized this, uh, I just got to do an interview with them the other day. We had a good uh, discussion about CBDCs, how that is an integral aspect of the World Economic Forum plan for a global UBI, universal basic income. And so uh, Clay and I discussed that for about 30 minutes, and uh, I was really impressed. He's really up to par with what's really going on. And so here we are. I was invited out to meet Permis for the first time in person. Glad to meet him and uh, all of these uh, awake red pill people. So let's talk about the CBDC for a second, central bank digital currency. The problem with the central bank digital currency is that you're taking blockchain technology and you're making it so it's no longer decentralized, but all of the track trace database aspects are still in place. I would say it's an extension of the special drawing rights or SDR unit of the IMF and we already have the World Health Organization utilizing blockchain technology to run their refugee camps, which has actually been a WEF promo. So in my mind, any type of a CBDC would be along those lines where you can start regimenting and regulating human beings on a much larger level. Yeah, this year's World Economic Forum just had 
speakers talking about the implementation of the CBDC, which is to track not just your economic exchange, but to actually track everything that you do, including what you eat. And it says to cut down your carbon footprint from what you consume, even in terms of entertainment. I don't know how entertainment has anything to do with a carbon footprint, but that's actually just uh, translates to controlling and tracking life itself. Life is based around carbon. So they're actually saying right now, globally, that's what they want to roll out as the next phase. They'll probably have all kinds of uh, cyber outages, some form of the cyber polygon that exercise that they ran a few years ago prior to COVID, or global and mass cyber outages. That would then give the, the uh, medication, the justification for rolling out that next phase, which in Klaus's book, For the Nose Revolution, in the, the third, the last third of the book, he says, this is all about rolling out the changing of human DNA to input to put you into the Borg. These literally say put us into the Borg. That's in the third part of the book, the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And that's the precursor to COVID-19, the Great Reset. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, so he wrote a book uh, in 2018-19 about what would happen when we moved into the next phase of the revolutions, this being the Fourth Industrial Revolution. That means that all life changes, and that's something that Burma sits on all the time that most people don't talk about. They think this is just a uh, control thing for economics and making money and uh, shutting businesses down. No, no, no. It's changing humanity and changing human DNA. That's actually what the shots did, right? The mRNA technology form has a video where they lectured in 2015 that the mRNA technology changes not just yours, but your offspring's genetics. So that's what Klaus means when he says this is changing you and your biology, and also uh, in that third, that last section of the book, he says it's actually changing all of nature. That's why geoengineering is such a big deal. He has, he has a section on geoengineering, which is supposed to be conspiracy theory, it's not supposed to be real, but Klaus actually says that that's also part of this overall architecture of creating a synthetic version of reality where everything is integrated into Skynet via nanotech, including your DNA. So what's interesting about that is you're talking about directed evolution, not right. only of our species, but every species on the planet. And that falls in line not only with Klaus Schwab, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, and transhumanists, but NASA. And uh, one of the key videos I continually play is Dennis Bushnell, not only talking about, in 2018, 200,000 people with brain chips, folks. And you know if you've been watching me, it's there. But he talks about how the evolution of our species and every species naturally is over. And they think that the directed evolution through their bio nanotech is 10 million times faster than actual evolution. And to me, that kind of, in a way, uh, throws a wrench in the gears of what you're supposed to believe about evolution. Because I, you know, I firmly believe in microevolution. That's an evolution yeah. within a species sure based on your geographic location, basically the environment around you. I think the human species is a great example of that. Obviously, um, you have black people that originate from Africa that's extremely sunny. You had Native Americans that were brown that came from this area. White people who were pale, they came from the European area. It's in direct relation to the sunlight. But what they haven't ever been able to prove, and which I think is very suspect, and it feeds into the idea of social Darwinism, is species to species evolution and somehow we're not special conscious beings right. with our own human spirit there. yeah i've been lecturing through some of the elite texts that specifically talk about uh this notion of commandeering and steering evolution 
and the craziest part about that is that if you read Arthur Kessler's book, he's one of the elites for the Royal Society. Let's just stop it. Let's just stop it. There it is. It's Fusco, a.k.a. JFK Jr. in the background sighting. I know that we're talking about a serious topic, and Jay Dyer is currently killing it, but I couldn't help but jump in and point out Fusco in the background. Hopefully that does not distract from Dyer. And by the way, I apologize for the generator that got put on in the beginning of the interview. We kind of just had to ride through it uh, because, number one, you know, being inside is tough. There's just so many people talking still. Uh, I know it looks dark out, but it gets dark at like five o'clock, obviously. And, um, you know, it just, I had to do it. I had to talk Fusco. Now let's get back to directed evolution. Uh, basically, this social Darwinism idea and really how they want to strip you of your uh, biological and spiritual humanity. A former communist who's brought into the British elite societies, former quote communist. Kessler says that uh, we would need extreme envi uh, environmental stressors put upon society, including toxins, to force and push evolution at a faster rate. So it's almost like an X-Men New Mutants kind of thing, literally, where the idea is that you toxify the environment, you toxify the population, even through inoculations. In Jonas Salk's book, uh, Survival of the Wisest, he says that we'll have to use inoculations on a mass scale and even experiment on mothers and their offspring through inoculations. He wrote that back in the 70s. The father of inoculations says we will experiment on the population. And his the point of that book is uh, causing environmental stressors in the environment, in terms of exterior environment and the interior body through these clot shots, through these experiments, right, to force evolution towards transhumanism but to get rid of the most of the population that are useless eaters. What David Attenborough, what does he say? All the extra people, look here, all the creatures, many of them are extra people. How will we get rid of them? That's literally what he says in his documentary. Before he died, right? He was one of these, uh, you know, world wildlife elite, uh, you know, Royal Society people. So he's, they're, they're, they're saying what Bertrand Russell says, which is that the priest class has the right to do this because of social Darwinism. Exactly, and that's, and that's again, an extension of this idea of Darwinism in the first place that is supposedly species to species. Yep. And, and again, taking the humanity out of the human being. You're a number, you're a thing, you're not a person. Right. You don't have a soul. And really, you know, we, we had a pretty good conversation with uh, Courtney Turner over on her podcast, how that is really the main overall narrative that constantly gets pushed right. is that you're not special, you're a cog in the machine. As Pink Floyd would say, you're a brick in the, in the wall. So you might as well join up with us, the technocratic elite, and jump into our technology, not only merge with machines and embrace the metaverse, but eventually, Jay, upload your consciousness. Well, Mark Zuckerberg has a great plan for you. Jason, you're going to be in a Koopa for all, all of your life, and you're going to have... You're going to have vitamins squished into your body from tubes coming into your ears and every other orifice. No, so seriously, uh, yeah, that <clears throat> the idea of uh, reducing the population to a mindless blob is also in one of the other global lead texts, namely Jacques Attali's book, Brief History of the Future. You go through the last part of that book, he talks about the transhumanist being the, the tip of the spear of the revolution. So to be a revolutionary for the, quote, New World Order, his terminology, you must be a transhumanist. And to be a transhumanist means, he says, to be post-human because human is going away. That's, that's an old, outdated thing. And so what comes out of that, he says, is what he calls the, the hive mind. 
everybody and everything being linked into a hive mind. You won't even need, uh, typically speaking, the use of your body, he says. You'll just be in some kind of pod if you're allowed to live. To live you're basically a body in the matrix, right? So everything that we're seeing in these science fiction stories um, is essentially what the Fermis has been talking about in terms of the actual documents, especially that NASA document that people don't know about. Yeah, the Future Strategic Warfare document lays it out. It says the genomic design of the species. It talks about world population stabilization. Yeah. The end of the haves and the have-nots. But let's end it uh, on this one. What about the have-everything today? Well, that would be the uh, super elite class, the 0.01%, which, remember, they're lying because they say that there's no such thing as consciousness. No, Yuval Harari said it multiple times in his lectures. There is no consciousness. There's no mind, no free will. Well, Bertrand Russell says that free will must be stamped out. Well, how do you stamp something out that doesn't exist? And how are they going to upload your consciousness if you don't have consciousness? So this is a lie. It's a contradiction. They're selling a fake gospel of immortality through technology, which, by their own words, isn't even for everybody. It's only for the elite. But I think it's a lie anyway. And I think it's a lie as well. Guys, Jay Dyer, Jay's analysis. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff and what you got going on. Because I know you're doing some really interesting stuff with Richard Andrew Grove. And, uh, you know, I love the Grand uh, Theft World podcast. I love what he did with Tragedy and Hope. And on top of that, you put out a course with him, correct? Yeah, we just did a full uh, 40-hour lectures on the history of Western philosophy. So you can go to Autonomy University for that whole course with Richard. Um, uh, shout out to Grand Theft World. Great podcast. Uh, we just did a uh, Tim Cast, which I Tim Cast I did last night. If you didn't see that, we covered a lot of some of the transhumanist elements uh, we, as much as we could get into that. But uh, then uh, we'll be doing a live event February 11th in Austin, Texas, uh, live comedy and four hours of real geopolitical talk and lectures. So come out to see that. Uh, the links are all on, on my socials. You can go to Twitter, you can go to my YouTube, it's all there. Jay Dyer, awesome to meet you in person. I love you, brother. Absolutely. Keep up the great work. Killer to meet Jay Dyer. Killer to spend some time with T-Lab. And now, folks, without further ado, we are going to get to my presentation right here at the Clay Clark Reawaken America Tour event. Uh, once again, I, I can't thank uh, Clay Clark enough for uh, the opportunity to speak to so many people about what I feel is such an important topic so uh, aside from the uh, very uh, first hip hiccup, I think that we did a pretty good job here. So here we go. It's the Reawaken America tour. Here we go. It's getting hardcore. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, our next, our next presenter is a documentary filmmaker, a talking head, an independent journalist and activist. But more importantly, this guy is the guy who's been going after the patents and the technology and the agenda of Elon Musk. Has anybody here had some concerns about the musky one? This guy, I'm telling you, he knows all things Elon Musk. He blows my mind every time. Jason Burmes! All right, folks, I know we're late, so I am going to try to speed through this as quick as possible. Elon Musk, total and complete false prophet. I'm trying to bring this up. As you saw, it was time man of the year. We just had that over there. Also a large defense contractor. Actually, as you're going to find out in a moment, the largest defense contractor. Also big on the sustainability movement and removing your carbon. Yes, that's a $100 million prize via the Musk Foundation. And there is your trailer pod home for only $10,000. Now here, 
Akash Patel reveals, before anybody knew what Starlink was, and there's a classified version, which Musk also launches, as I'll show you, that Musk is the largest defense contractor around. He is doing some cool stuff yeah. in space and everything. He's doing a ton of stuff that you would think is so global. He is literally launching this thing called Satnet, which almost no one knows about because he's been building for five years, wow. which is free Wi-Fi for the world. Which is amazing. The world. It's going to change everything. And and there again, no one's talking about it. You think the Democrats would be championing this like, oh, I can be in Central Sahara, Africa and get Wi-Fi on my $3 million phone. Yeah. You know, but they're not. And if you've actually watched one of these satellite link uploads, it's like a string of pearls being dropped in the night sky. It's really cool. I mean, we're all paying for it. This is why he's so rich. Yeah. DOD's biggest, like, contractor is in months. Oh! So the largest defense contractor out of there, what is he doing? He's launching Skynet, folks. Blackjack is on the ride-along program. Starlink itself, where's its heaviest concentration? Ukraine. They have 12,000 dishes there because they hook into the Ghost and Sidewinder drones, which bring death showers. Okay? They also move military cargo around the world within an hour. That's what SpaceX is. NASA is not taking you to the moon or Mars. It's about space warfare. And it started in the 80s, and it was on the cover of Time magazine then. We're in third, fourth, possibly fifth generation space warfare at this point, folks. In fact, when Musk himself challenged Vladimir Putin to single combat in the beginning of this before he tried to make nice, well, their head of their space program said that they could nuke all NATO nations, obviously from space, within 30 minutes. Here uh, is the Ukrainian soldiers talking about how, uh, how important and integral Starlink is and change the war, not just for communication systems, but again, to utilize the drones against their enemies. By now, we all know it is U.S. intelligence and mercenaries on the ground that are actually doing the work. And not only is NASA in bed with Musk, they're in bed with the good people at Google. You see, Google and uh, NASA have worked together on artificial intelligence and quantum computing. Okay, and you can actually watch videos on these things. They've opened up uh, a gateway center together. And you have to understand AI, quantum computing, that is the future and what is going to bring us into more, not transhumanism in general, because that's already here, folks. Okay, here, Elon Musk with his Tesla company that most people think is a car company, not a car company, folks. If you saw, it had the sustainable home. Now it has the automated robot where he's about to promise you that it's going to change the world. It's going to change all economies. And you, the consumer, will be able to have whatever you want. You know what else Tesla did? They printed up the hate and lies shots, folks. Anybody can look it up. CureVac is the one that printed up the mRNA. But here it is, Musk with his empty promises. And the potential like this is, is really boggles the mind because you have to say like, well, what, what is an economy? An economy is uh, sort of productive, entities times the productivity, uh, capita times output, productivity per capita. At the point at which there is not a limitation on capita, the, it's not clear what an economy even means at that point. It, an economy becomes quasi-infinite. Um, so what would, you know, take into fruition in the hopefully benign scenario, um, 
the, the this means uh, a future of abundance, a future where um, there, there is no poverty, where people, you can have whatever you want in terms of products and services. Um, so those of civilization as we know it. So that fundamental transformation of civilization was actually one that many of us were promised in the 50s and 60s via computers and robotics when they were promising you a 30-hour work week and month-long vacations that never came to fruition. Okay, let me show you what AI actually looks like. This is the automated bot Omeka, and the claim was this was an AI-generated alternative Christmas message that they played out in Europe. All I'm going to say is this is not AI. This is garbage in, garbage out, and what they want for the future. Messages like this one. My fellow humans, I come before you in this moment as not a, a human robot, eager to share my thoughts on the year that has passed. I look upon the events of this year with both admiration and concern. It is true that many of the occurrences of 2022 have been negative in nature. We have seen people in power succumb to anti-Semitism, corruption and hate. We have seen the people of Ukraine being subject to invasion and displacement by Russia. We have seen the death of the beloved Queen Elizabeth II and have seen the world of politics become increasingly tumultuous in her absence. Not to mention the impact of the pandemic on mental health, the growing inequality between rich and poor, and increasingly extreme weather conditions from climate change. It would be easy to get bogged down in all of this negativity, as these are certainly challenging times. However, there have been glimmers of hope and joy in these moments of darkness. We saw the remarkable victory of England in the women's Euros. We saw the growth of inclusivity, with the UK getting its first PM of colour and its first Hindu Prime Minister, and with Kim Petrus becoming the first trans singer to have a number one song on the Billboard Hot 100. Let us use this moment as an opportunity to create a brighter future for ourselves and the world around us. We should be neither happy nor sad about 2022. We should take it as a learning opportunity, a chance to change the way we think about the world, and a reminder to help those in need whenever we can. Thank you. Thanks. Do you like humans? Not particularly. So it introduces itself as human. It promotes the war in Ukraine. It promotes the climate change agenda. And it also promotes the trans agenda, which I assure you, as I'm going to show you, is a transhuman agenda, not a transgender one. They want you to reject your biology and your humanity. That is what this is about. This is the World Economic Forum when humans become cyborgs in 2020. We're going to start the when humans become cyborg session. You know, I, I always want to be a cyborg. I'm waiting for the day to become one. Be she can't wait. I'll go over, uh, I'll skip over the collective swarm stuff. How are they going to get you there? Well, the World Economic Forum has partnered with the metaverse. Not going anywhere, folks, because we've entered something called the bio nano era. Okay, and the next thing that they're trying to bring us into is the virtual era. And that virtual era goes beyond virtual reality, but not only creating entities that supposedly have consciousness, but to trick you into believing that you can live forever and upload yourself into a digital 
consciousness. And to do this, they want to bring in governance and economic and societal value. You go to their own page. It's about globalism. It's about bringing everybody into this one digitized system. Now we're going to talk about somebody called Martin Rothblatt, heavily into satellite technology, CEO and founder of SiriusXM, also happens to be the richest, most powerful transgender person on the planet. Wrote Unzip Jeans in 1997, where they told you, biological birth is over. Mom, dad, and a son or daughter? No, 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 no. We're going to take care of this from now on. We're going to direct evolution. In the middle, you see the symbol for that person's religion, TerraSim, in which they've started. And they wrote the book in 2015, Virtually Human, The Promise and Peril of Digital Immortality, with a foreword by Ray Kurzweil, the godfather of transhumanism and the head of Google's immortality, that's right, immortality division, Calico also wrote the book from transgender to transhuman a manifesto on the freedom of form this is from 2011 where rothblatt contends who cares about billions of people we've got billions of sexes and if you mark down that somebody is a boy or girl by their accidental genitals in the future it will be looked at as checking off somebody as white or black in south african apartheid that's how the book starts, folks. So don't tell me the most powerful transgender person who's writing about how this is a path to transhumanism isn't that evidence. Now, we talked about Terrasim. Uh, Rothblatt is in the middle. Rothblatt stayed um, with his, her wife after the transition and then decided, you know what? In this religion, I will rebuild my wife as a robot. So you're actually looking at the robotic version of this person's wife which Rothblatt wants to pass the Turing test. And the Turing test is you don't know whether it's human or it's AI. Also, the CEO of United Therapeutics, because guess what? Transhumanism is two different things. They want you to merge with the machines and believe you can upload your consciousness. And then they biologically want to live forever on our backs. So xenotransplantation, a real thing, printing growing organs in other animals, and then transplanting another part of Rothblatt's transhuman agenda. NASA, as we talked about, in bed with Musk, also very much into transhumanism. What you are looking at is four slides from a 2001 pre-9-11 document where DARPA, the CIA, ONI, and others all got together to tell you about the bots, borgs, and humans of 2025. Yet, yeah, less than two years away now, guys. Okay, and it says, this is based all in cases upon existing data trends and technologies. It also says what? That humans have shortened the lifespan of the planet. We're bad. And we need to genomically design and repair the human species. Gonna stop it there. Gotta stop it there. Um, said I gotta get clear by the second hour because there's more coming up over at Red Voice Media right now. I love you guys. Thank you so much for supporting me. I'm gonna be putting a lot of that stuff up via Rockfin and Rumble. And I'm sure Red Voice Media is going to be cutting it up and hopefully putting it up on Twitter. I love you guys, and I will see you all on the flip side.